So tell me what, what you do. You seem to jump many ships and you're all over the shop. <laughs> tell me about that. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely one of those people that's like um, Jill of all trades, Jack of all trades. I'm not necessarily a master of one, but I'm, I'm the type of person who um, enjoys doing a lot of things. Mm. And I basically have made a commitment or I made a commitment to figuring out a way that I can incorporate all of these things that I like mm. to do in my career. Um, so, yeah, it's just me jumping ship is it, it's like a, it's like a hot mess. It's like a strategic mess. If that makes strategic sense. mess. I like that. It's, it's <laughs> intentional. A strategic mess. Yeah. Yeah, it's intentional, but it's definitely hectic. <laughs> yeah, how do you find that? Do you do you find it manageable? You you're clearly doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's manageable, but it's also tough. So, um definitely things like the burnout is very real for me if I don't pay attention to like how I'm managing my my tasks or my responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just because I have to be I'm invested in so many things, even if they're little things that make up one whole for like someone else. It's just like having to have your mind engaged and um, like tuned in to like so many different things can be overwhelming at times. That's the main struggle. It's just like managing and organizing everything. Um, but other than that, it's actually a really good thing because it's like my days look different every day. I'm engaging different parts of my mind, my, you know, my mm. creativity. So it's actually a plus for me to be yeah. doing all of these things. Yeah. So I'm chilling. Tell me about um, Below the Surface magazine. I'm really Ooh. interested in hearing about that. First question, Below the Surface. Below the Surface, yes. What's that um, about? Yeah. Can I ask? Can I actually ask you a question? What What does it seem like it's about? <laughs> like I'm interested for the person who's coming across it as a mm. new thing. What mm. impression are you getting? Because, um, yeah, I think it's important. You know what I mean to understand that as the person behind it. To me, the impression I'm getting from below the surface is is more of understanding differences in cultures at least from maybe this is the the bias from what i've from whatever it maybe this is just from the data that i've gathered from the the content that you've put out already i'm just looking yeah. at okay this is this is a study of culture in okay. more than anything else so i'm that's what i'm getting below the surface but okay, it's difficult cool. to pinpoint no, no. so I'm, I'm really not yeah i could be and i don't expect off. you to know by the could way, way no, off, no, that's, yeah. cool. that's cool i don't expect you to know um Especially, it always depends on how much you've seen of it as well. But in this case, I would probably explain <clears throat> below the surface as a platform. Um, it's a creative platform, but it's also an entrepreneurial space. Um, so it's where you can come in. Um, basically, I'll explain it at its root, which is to explore the world around us. So my intention with the platform is to explore the world around us but using different forms of expression so so below the surface but not just like um anything about the world it's more so about you know the socio-political world so i'm really interested in social issues i'm interested in like um human behavior and human connection i'm interested in politics so 
it's like exploring big topics but through art basically and so um that's like online print like magazines um so that digital art it's also exploring it through um interviews um so that's something that i'm yet to do more of events um and that's why i said it's an entrepreneurial space as well um and um just writing in general so like and panel discussions so it's kind of just like it's just a space where i've kind of set an intention to um, explore lived experiences, explore what's happening in our world, but to do it in a creative, but like in a creative but still powerful way, if that makes sense. How does it fit into what you, um, mm. community work that you do in a way? Yeah, well, what inspired it is just like a deep desire of mine to like, um, to basically engage with different like ideas and concepts and like experiences but do it in a way that I find is interesting so like um I just like when anything has a creative flair to it so what inspired me mainly is just just like my enthusiasm for being active in the community so like I've always even before below the surface happened like I've always been the type of person to um jump onto collaborative projects with different people um, whether it's you know acting or writing or um, just any any playing any role in the project, I've always enjoyed that. And so I kind of got to a point where I wanted to like take the lead and start like um, basically conceptualizing and delivering projects that I that were coming from my mind and heart. You know what I mean? Because for so long I was jumping on board on other people's things, which actually gave me a lot of inspiration. But um, yeah, I've just had so many ideas and I still have, I'm still flooded with them. So it's like, I just wanted a space. I wanted to create a space where I could kind of funnel all of my ideas, but through a sort of like a productive means, if that makes sense, build a community, build a space where people can make sense of their experiences or other people's experiences and do it whilst viewing art or consuming art. All right. That's awesome, actually. I like that. But I've been, <laughs> I wanted to ask you this as well because, like, the multi faceted, yeah, multidisciplinary aspect of things is really interesting to me and career path as well. Like, is there, is there something wrong with being an expert in, in a particular field if that's something like you gravitate towards? Or is that like a status quo that you think is just made up and doesn't suit many people because the way I see it is it fits mm. many creative types of people they can jump ship because but at the end of the day it's fundamentally the same thing like creativity springs from the same world if you will mm. so your thought I think I just never I never liked I just never felt comfortable or at ease with this idea that I had to fit myself into a box you know what I mean? Like even growing up, I think if we look at our, our current world, it's very normal to, you know, have dip your feet into different industries or different careers. Whereas back in the days when we were being prepared for our careers right now, I think it was still very common for people to kind of think about one one space that they're going to commit themselves to, like, you know? And that just I just remember that making me so anxious because for a period of my life I'll be very into a certain thing and then um and then it'll change you know <laughs> and I'm like is something wrong with me 
because <coughs> I really, I really hated this idea of just exercising, being in just an office or just doing writing or just reading for like days on end. Mm. And I'm like, no, like I think it's just um, there's nothing wrong with not being an expert in one thing, of course. Mm. Um, if anything, I would just say if you're going to be um, the person that tries to do a lot of things, mm. just do that, strate- do it strategically because you can't just be doing a lot of things and it work out unless, you know, you've kind of been strategic about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because my thing is, Lydia, with this is at some point we're going to wonder the proportional impact a person has has towards these multiple disciplines, right? Don't you think? I think it's something that a lot of creative people can definitely do, but even them, like something has to give, right? I think it's difficult to quantify the impact you have on one discipline, right? Yeah. Say, hey, maybe my focus would be better fixated on X project, and I could double down on Y project, right? It's, mm. it's that's that's the thing about it. So I, I think I think I gave you. If anything, I'm strategic. in dangerous territory. I'm <laughs> I'm the one that's in dangerous territory because, like you just explained, it's one of those things where I actually risk not appearing to be having or making impact in a certain area, you know, and that's, that's actually a conversation I've been having recently with myself and with my mentors, which is like this idea of, do you want to, should I anchor myself in one field? Like, let's say it's presenting, should I anchor myself in that field and just really establish myself and then kind of come back and pick up on these other disciplinaries and be like, yep, I do this, I do this, or should I keep just building at the, a few of them, do you know what I mean? So mm. I'm actually, I'm that's where I'm at in my in my career decision making. Um, <laughs> like that's literally what I've been thinking about recently because I'm trying to be trying to be strategic about it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. Be strategic about it. So you're um, involved in community development, right? Yeah. What? Yeah. What does that What does that entail? What does that mean? Um, okay, so I just, I guess that was the best word that I could use uh, to describe what, yeah, what I'm doing in community, which is to develop community. So like, um, so the degree that I'm about to graduate from now is a social science degree, and it majors in behavioral studies. So that's a big focus on, you know, psychology and sociology, basically understanding human behavior, human connection, and understanding all of that within the context of society and how society works. So what I'm doing is like, for example, I'm working in the field um, lightly now is I'm on a reducing gambling harm project. So that's like um, a 12 month project where we were working really closely with the community to understand what gambling looks like in that community, how it's manifesting and then now addressing the harms of it and raising awareness around the harms of it. So um, it's a huge project, which, like, we're finishing off with a big campaign. Um, but that's kind of an idea of, like, the sort of community work I'm doing. It's, like, building up communities, whether it's, like, educating them, supporting them with services. Um, I That's what I intend on doing, like, always kind of having, like, one foot in the community and doing meaningful projects, I would say. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I think a big emphasis on educating the community, um, building capacity, so supporting the community to to become um, 
to become more able, more competent in whatever area. Um, I kind of see a crossover between the things that I'm doing. It's like very much like media, community and education. That makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. it's mad. I think community Mm -hmm. like development is very underrated. Like, because I was doing, I did my intern in my final year at the the Northern Beaches Council out here in Sydney. <coughs> and we were basically conducting a literature review and just proposing quantitative methodologies and how to best capture social change within the community development sector. And oh, then yeah. you yeah. quickly recognise that, the I quickly recognise that the council is underrated. Like the amount of work they do is, is incredible, right? Like oh, our communities yeah. would be very different place without that work. Like it's, it's, it's Definitely. insane. Definitely. Insane. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I'm working for the council myself as a contractor. Oh, and nice. yeah, on this particular project that I'm doing, the Reducing Gambling Harm Project is actually for Brimbank City Council. And then also I've done a lot of other work with that council. And I agree. I've actually been taken away by my, myself, just understanding how much work the councils, the respective councils in each like state and area do for the community. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Do you focus on on particular particular demographics, or is it just very general um, community work that you do? Yeah. So there is a focus, and the focus kind of is established um, by looking at the demographics that uh, predominantly exist in that space, or um, who are mostly impacted by that issue. So in the case of the gambling project, we've been working um, really closely with the Vietnamese community the Chinese community, seniors, um, South Pacific Islanders and um, South um, <coughs> Sorry, and the reason is for this is because there are just large communities of these people in, in that council area, if that makes sense. Mm. And in that council area, Brimbank, in my case, that's where the highest losses to pokies machines comes from. Wow. Yeah, so... Yeah. And is that within the young adults or is that like older? It's, it's kind of like an 18 plus situation. Oh, wow. And, and they all pokies, everybody's losing to the, to the pokies. So well, what, yeah, <laughs> pretty what much. Is it? What, what, did you, what did you find? What, you, what did you find in that research and the, the campaign that you guys are doing exactly that, yeah. you can, that you can share obviously with us? Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, we've we've learnt a lot. For one, like I said, the the highest number of losses to pokies machines in general comes from that council area. So that's already an issue because you know the, it's the highest number of losses in Victoria. So um, what we've learnt, I've I've because coming into the project, um, basically the the premise is that you know this is an issue. We didn't we didn't need to establish whether or not this is truly an issue or not it is an issue and the statistics like show that so the next step of the project was to actually go into the communities and understand culturally what does it look like because what we realize is like if you go into the African community for example gambling is more taboo you know it's more it's a conversation that is not really um openly had um it's not really spoken about in terms of um how it's negatively impacting our community Mm. um it's just very taboo very um pushed under the carpet sort of thing whereas 
now if you go to the vietnamese community you you'll learn that like gambling is actually much less taboo and that's mm. because they consider in their blood you know dealing with money and playing with money is something that vietnamese people do in their culture you know and they've done it for a very long time obviously um with gambling there's a spectrum because there's healthy gambling and then there's it gets to a prob- problematic level of gambling but um just in general one thing i learned is that gambling in itself is viewed very differently depending on the community that you're going to do you know what i mean right right and that's... yeah yeah go on now the reason that's important um or that's relevant is because now as people who are coming into the community to actually deal with the issue we have to keep we have to keep those things in mind because <clears throat> that's going to help us or inform how we now address the issue you know because with the Af- african community we can't be coming in like oh like just talking about it like it's some comfortable thing like expecting them no we actually have to address it in a certain way because already as it is it's so hush hush in the community people there's a lot of shame that's carried with it you know um in the vietnamese community it's a lot more of an open conversation because it's something that's just openly done same with um in the south pacific uh, communities like a lot of the times that their their people are actually gambling is when they all gathered at um like the tab um sort of venues and um you know they they're having lunch um and those big venues and then the kind of the ones who gamble kind of just sneak off into the games room so it's like it's all kind of done around each other whereas yeah it's just it just looks different and so um yeah that's kind of one example if that makes sense of why yeah. it it mattered to understand the differences um yeah really fascinating i wonder yeah i wonder if there's like an anthropological ex- explanation as to to tease out the differences in these different cultures and why they perceive it so differently. Like why do African people think it's taboo and why do they find that? Do you guys find out why? Why? Um, in terms of why, I think um, there's probably in the African community just more shame when it comes to um, things that are breaking down the family. Like generally speaking, mm-hmm. Africans um, are pretty they're pretty quiet about those things you know because we come from communal sort of um communities where it's it's like one of those things where it's a negative thing you know what's happening with regards to gambling is pretty much negative so it's just that understanding um maybe maybe that sort of anxiety around the fact that the average person in the african community wouldn't understand how one got to that point you know what i mean whereas like even in the vietnamese culture they come come like a family gathering or a birthday or like a public holiday they're actually openly like literally gambling with the whole family you know mm. with little money here and there um i think it's just shame about the fact that you know it's a money related um sort of like um you know um kind of having the house and house matters under control um i think it's just it yeah i think it's just it's generally embarrassing is what i would say and that's mm. something that that's something that we've learned across the board but um there's just more sensitivity around it in the african community because it's not something that's done that often even on a non problematic level you know right 
so on the problematic uh, end of the spectrum, is this something that's affecting those people of the lower socioeconomic ladder, or what's the deal? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so what we've learned is, is for one, the, this they're slightly break down why gambling can be problematic and why it can't be. So it's really just about how much money you're gambling, how often you're gambling, and what does that look like in in um, relation to the time you have or the money you have? So, for example, if you're gambling, Alfred, and you have a hundred dollars and you're gambling ninety, well, what, how much does that even leave for like food, rent, and just like your everyday expenses? If you're gambling a dollar from your $100, then we could just consider that as just non, it's not problematic. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's coming out of a portion of your money that doesn't go towards the essentials. So it's like the way I would look at it or the way we've been taught to look at it is like, are you gambling money that you can even afford to lose? Mm. You know, cause now that's what happens when it becomes problematic. A lot of people with gambling addictions actually gamble the very money they need to pay bills, to pay, for their everyday expenses. And they do this with the hope that they'll win it back and more to then go and cover those expenses. And to answer your question about um, the low socioeconomic um, you know, communities, because that's really relevant, is we've learned that, see, with gambling, it's not a, it's not a government-owned thing. It's actually private-owned. So um, they're definitely out there with the intention to um, make make money, you know, and to do this by kind of taking advantage of people. So a big part of this project is also just raising awareness around the manipulative tactics to the pokies. And, and one of the big, like, tactics is the actual pokies venues are literally placed in, like, the very low socioeconomic corners of of that council area. So in Brimbank, there's 13 um, venues and 11 out of the 13 of those venues are in really low socioeconomic corners. And that's kind of like just preying on the weak. So people who might already have, you know, um, living living in not the best of situations, um, you know, domestic violence, no employment. And now you have this place around the corner from you where you can just walk in at any time um they even look after you you know sometimes you get free coffee and tea like it's very like your cushion to like come in stay there mm. and yeah so it's just like it does affect it does affect um low socioeconomic people mostly that's mad that's it's a madness so is the amount that they gamble informed by their social economic background? I'm I'm curious to know that because they obviously, if I'm if I have a hundred dollars and I'm gambling ninety, is that tied to a psychological, socio-economic aspect? Is that tied to tied to things? Um, I don't know if we've we haven't formally said that it's tied to something like that. I think it's just. What happens is um, basically somehow along the somehow along the way, people have started to really believe that they can win <laughs> this money back. And so, like, I'll, I'll explain a few of the manipulative manipulative tactics. Like, one of them is like the actual lights. Have you noticed, like, when you go to a pokey machine, it's like all flashy, flashy. Yeah. Well, 
the idea of that is that it, it, it actually distracts you from what time of day it is. Like you wow. can even you can even forget, you know, what time of day it is. And then there's also things like the music that's playing. It's very like hypnotic on purpose. You're like do 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 You know what I mean? That's supposed to th- make you think that you're at a carnival, like a fair, like, you know, it just yeah. And then there's also the fact that the machine makes you it gives you wins every now and then. So it makes sure you win just to basically trick you into believing that you can win. Whereas there's not much there's not much to it with Pokies. You're not really doing much. It's actually just chance. Therefore, you know, you're leaving it to the machine. And um what we've what we've understood about the actual addictive nature of gambling is people are addicted to the anticipation of winning. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So you're not addicted to anything other than, oh, this idea that I could win. Oh, I could win if I try again. And that's why you keep trying again because you're just addicted to the thought of winning. You're not even mm. addicted to winning because if you were, you would realize that it's not happening that often. Do you know mm. what I mean? And so it's actually – it's not so much that I would consider it like a um, a psychological – I think we're all technically capable of slipping into whatever that psychological thought pattern is, and I don't even know what to call it, but I think it's we all have the capacity to go there. Some just do, and it's probably encouraged by other factors. So it could be depression. It could be um, a lack of worthiness. It could be so many things, you know. Um, but, yeah. It's interesting because even if we're looking at um, other more heavy like actual substance abuse um, addiction addiction disorders you cocaine as well is they yeah. all they all share the same biological um, process right it's the anticipation that they most um, looking forward to rather than the actual ingestion of the substance right so yeah. before they before they even ha- um, snort that line they yeah. already they already feel the the impact of it right so it's interesting how the brain works in that in that it regard is, yeah i think in that regard you could say the brain plays us <laughs> absolutely absolutely but yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, that that culture thing is really interesting to me because like you and i know that culture informs our view of the world our values right much of how we think and behave is predicated on the dominant cultural paradigm right in Australia and Western societies, the overriding culture is like individualism, whereas many African countries practice communal living, like you said, like, you know, and that recognition that I am because we are the Ubuntu is one of those things, right? So what I wanted to ask you is like, how, like, have you, with your background, have you managed to reconcile Australian culture and Ethiopian culture? Are they compartmentalized or are they interwoven in your everyday interactions? Hmm. Um, I would say that they are probably at times compartmentalized yeah. and at times interwoven. I think in a sense they're interwoven just because I, I'm just, I am <laughs> like who I am. And so like I go wherever I go, it's just like a makeup of the things that have made me up, you know? And so I feel like a big, a big, part of who I am is just the fact that I am Ethiopian is the fact that I have such a strong solid like culture to look to 
um, even though I've been in this country my whole life. So I have been back home a few times for a few months, but um, it's just more the fact that I have like the the language is within reach. Like I'm, I've I've been blessed enough to live with my family, so my mum and dad my whole life. Um, they speak Amharic or they speak their language with each other. And just even that very fact alone means I've had that everyday, um, <clears throat> like, visibility or interaction with my culture. So I feel like, um, if anything, it's just helped me be Australian really peacefully because it's just, like, one of those things where I just feel so comfortable and confident knowing that I'm connected to something so much bigger outside of these borders, you know what I mean? And having understood that from, like, a really younger age it just, it didn't make me feel like I don't belong here or there. It's just one of those things where I belong, like, in so many different spaces. So I'm someone who kind of, like, really embraced the the things that I could relate to growing up, and I never shied away from the fact that, you know, I am born in Australia. I was raised here. Mm-hmm. And there's things about, there's a lot about that that has contributed, like, strongly to who I am, and I'm not shameful of those things. Um, I just think, yeah, culture, it's been a huge, it's been a huge deal for me. I think had I not ever been back home or mm. had the lux- luxury of going back home, had I not, let's say I didn't have some family here, like my mom's got a few siblings with their kids. So I've got, you know, cousins, um, you know, an Ethiopian church that I was connected to growing up my whole life. If I didn't have these things mm. and I was just, just a black girl in Australia, um, I'll probably have a different answer, but I just feel like I've really had such a blessed opportunity to kind of relate to and understand where I come from and, like, also just be grounded in this Australian culture and, and accept it. Like, my parents never really, you know, forced us to just stay in this Ethiopian bubble, whether it be mindset or people we deal with. It was all, always very much, like, go out and you know, socialise with your surroundings, socialise with your world, understand who you are, where you're from. And I think all in all that's just kind of contributed to, like, being firm in both identities, you know, as an Australian and as an Ethiopian. Wow. That's nice. So you just embrace the both of them into and just express <laughs> them. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, because I'm, like... So- yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Do you um do you, do you speak um one of the Ethiopian languages or? Um yeah, so so my mom and my dad they're actually from two different tribes, um and they're from two of the three main tribes in Ethiopia. So, um Amharic, which is my mom's tribe, Amhara, they actually that's a national language in Ethiopia. So. I never Harik, had the chance. Amharic. Amharic. Yeah. yeah. So A M H A R I C, and because my parents speak to each other in the Ethiopian language, but then for some weird reason spoke to us in English growing up. I spoke to them about this because it was very annoying to think like we had a whole lifetime of an opportunity to learn how to like properly speak the language, but yet they chose to speak to us in English, and that's something that definitely annoyed me um growing up but um I do understand the language basically like basically fluently and then I can speak it enough to like survive just just just. 
yeah, just enough. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you can have, you can say a few words or you can yeah. actually have a discussion? I can say a few words and I can engage. Like I can, I'm definitely going to be making grammatical mistakes along the right. way. And you're, prob- you're probably going to be laughing at me as I'm talking. <laughs> but you understand, you understand what I'm okay. trying to say. One yeah, of the breaking English version. Exactly. Yeah. Breaking I'm high. Yeah, yeah, no, I asked that because like language is a big part of culture, right? Like it's language is very fascinating to me because, and I've been I've been reading a lot of like Franz Fanon, like he's he's my guy, he's the homie, mm-hmm. and he and he mm-hmm. wrote uh, said something. He said, "To speak a language is to take on a, a world, a culture," and he's so mm-hmm. interesting. But he obviously he said that in the context of colonialism but it's it's true applied across different contexts or just in general right like i think yeah i like to think of it as almost seeing having different lens of the world when you when mm. you're speaking different languages and so mm-hmm. like are you like do you think are you afraid in some way there won't be remnants of your of your culture if you don't if you lose it completely in a sense yeah absolutely because I had that kind of confronting conversation with myself last year I'm like okay yo hold up (laughs) you know I'm about to see we're leaving the nest soon well actually in in my in my case my parents left the nest they left Mm. our house (laughs) and literally left me my sisters um to live together but um basically what I'm saying is is like yes I have thought about it and I have been anxious about it because I think language is, um, yeah, like you said, one of the biggest expressions of culture, but also just one of the main ways to connect to your culture. So um, I'm, I've made a conscious, like, effort, made more so, let, okay, not so much effort, but commitment to learn the language fluently. So that's kind of a working progress. So, and I mean, like, read and write the language as well. Um, and I kind of, like kind of set that intention end of last year even like put it on my Instagram and told people that I was doing this and like had some people message me and say they want to do it too and so it's, it's actually what I've noticed is it's a it's something that's it's a thought in a lot of the diaspora's minds do you know what I mean because we understand um to what extent we're connected to our culture and it's to the extent where that we're still really connected to our family like we feel more connected to our roots back home when we're around our family when we're hearing the language being spoken you know when we're eating food and the thing is is like naturally we're growing up moving on to building our own lives and not being as attached you know in an everyday sense to our extended families our moms our dads who keep us connected to back home. So so me, I've really thought about that and I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't let this slip away from me. Yeah. And it won't. It definitely won't. Um, it's just a matter of intention and putting in the time because it takes a lot to learn the language. And like I'm also someone who is really fascinated um, by languages. I learned French growing up um, mm-hmm. just because of a pure interest in the language. And, and then I got to that point when I like had learned the language and invested so much time in it where I'm like okay this is kind of shameful girl you're gonna have to you can't just go ahead and learn a whole foreign ass language um before you've mastered your own (laughs) exactly so yeah (laughs) all right 
Damn. So you so you speak French now? Yeah. Interesting. I do, yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. What's what inspired that actually? I'm really interested um, to know the mindset of that. <laughs> yeah, the mindset of that was a young girl who had two French best friends. Like that's simply uh, right. Lydia's best friends in primary school were French girls. And she loved her French best friend so much. And it wasn't even that, you know, like I I just remember being socializing around them, their families, and um, even just little funny moments. I remember like of them talking in French with each other and me just being like, oh, like I feel left out. Like I want to, I want to be, <laughs> I want to be a part of this. I want to hear what, what's being said, you know? Because yeah. one thing is I'm very curious, especially when it comes to like language and, and exchange of thoughts and stuff like that. Yeah, and I just do bloody that. four different things. Of course you're curious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really curious. So like in the end, I made a commitment to myself. I'm like, I'm going to learn this language. And I actually went to a primary school where they do this um, half French learning thing. So it's like, so there's genuine French students who have come from France. And if they speak fluent French and they learn all of their subjects in French one week and then all of their subjects in English the following week. So it's not that I did that program, but I was just around it um, so much that, um, yeah, I basically there was just more incentive as I grew up. I remember even in BCE when I was completing like my studies, there was more incentive to do a language because you would get a boost in points. I don't know if it's the same thing in Sydney, but... No. Okay, yeah, so... And then I went on exchange to France. So now I was mixing my desire for this language with now a real real life experience, having met genuine people, you know, living with the host family. So it's now it's just solid. It's 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 done. It's irreversible. Done I'm French. committed. Yeah. I'm committed to like keeping this language because now I know a whole a whole world of people. And that's what the thing with language. You mm. open up yourself to an opportunity to connect with a whole world of people. Yeah, it's the biggest point of connection, mm. right? If you can communicate in that language, that's it. Exactly. You're automatically exactly. embraced. That's it. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So you said you were doing, you were studying another degree prior to studying this current social science degree. Yeah. Do, you were doing law, right? Mm. And what happened? Tell me about that and walk <laughs> us through that story of, okay. in light, of enlightenment. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, what happened there is pretty simple. What happened there is Lydia was like, um, I don't like this anymore. Because the thing is, is law is great. I have, I have a lot of respect for it. Um, growing up, I genuinely believed that I wanted to be a lawyer. And that's just because I, I really understood um, my desire for people, my, my love for social justice and fighting for it so it's just like it's just simply put it just made sense or it felt like the only thing for me was to be a lawyer growing up you know based off having those like interests <clears throat> basically what happened there is just like you know I got into this law degree at Monash and it was a double degree so it's an arts and law degree six years and I was I was in my second yeah no look at your eyes <laughs> so I was in my second year and I literally was just kind of really pondering um, you know, do I like this? Like, I like the content, I guess, in a sense, like I like the, es oopsies, I like the essence of the content, but I don't like the way that I have to interact with this content. 
just very technical, very dry, um, very methodical, very rigid. And I was just like, oh, I can't see myself doing this. I actually can't. And I started to have those thoughts to myself. And when you're a uni student, like in your early days, you kind of just think you've got a lot of energy for life. And you're like, yep, just power through. I've started this thing. Let's just go. But I was really starting to kind of like think about it in terms of like I was having foresight I was trying to play it in my mind I was trying to think um okay I think it's it finally it finally became apparent to me that when you're considering your career when you're considering your the career that you're building instead of just considering the content alone of what you're doing I I started to consider the lifestyle I was creating for myself so what type of lifestyle am am I setting up for myself by becoming a lawyer you know and it's just all things that I didn't even want for myself if I'm being honest I I considered the long hours I considered the the amount of sitting um considering the amount of reading and I'm just like "Mm, I'm actually more of a practical person and one thing that frustrated me the most is that it didn't really give me any, any room at all to engage my creative mind and so a lot happened in the space between 2017 July and the following year because I basically decided to take a gap year off uni and that that was my way of like easing out of it because when I started that gap year I wasn't a hundred percent certain that I wanted to drop law because this idea of dropping law was this idea of dropping the very future that I planned for for years you know what I mean it was it was it's like what what else am I going to do I couldn't even conceptualize that all I knew is I'm really I'm deeply like dissatisfied with this so I start this gap year, um, get a full-time job at Telstra, work in sales, open up my mind a lot, travel to Europe. Then the following year in 2018, um, I traveled to Thailand and then I had a back injury. So I had a huge spinal injury in 2018. How did that happen? And, <laughs> boy, that's a whole story. <laughs> you being, can... being reckless? No, that's the thing. I wasn't. But I ended right. up in hospital in Thailand um for 10 days before I could come home and the long story short there and we can get back to it if you want is just Mm -hmm. this idea that um I was forced into my own lockdown so I say this a lot like I already had a lockdown in 2018 I was home ridden yeah I have had a lot of practice let's just say that but um yeah just basically what happened there is I just realized you know what you live in Australia, you, you're born and raised here. Like, genuinely, this is the conversation I was having with myself. I'm just like, what are you afraid of? Like, you can literally just build your future. Because I think I was so stuck on this idea of building a future according to the way that I was taught to or according to the way that, um, you know, <clears throat> it only made sense to based off who I was, um, you know, where I come from, just playing it safe. Like I think I was always kind of really, um, whether directly or indirectly, just encouraged to play it safe. And I started to break out of that mindset and it took a while. It was definitely like just conversations I was having with myself and just realizing like, oh, I'm actually educated. Like, oh, I actually live in a really resourceful country. Like, oh, like I'm so young as hell. Like I can start fresh. Like, what am I scared of? Like, I don't even know what it looks like yet. All I know is that I want to do, I want to be, I want to like be in the media space. Like I want to be on online. I want to be on TV. I want to be talking, but I don't want it just to be shallow related stuff. Like I want it to be meaningful. 
Um, I just knew these ideas of the things that I wanted and it was just about taking the steps and the time to just curate a life for myself because I just find I just finally realized why not <laughs> what am I scared yeah. of do you know what I mean yeah no I find that interesting like you you pretty much ripped up the template and said let me let me start from mm. scratch right yeah like because you're, yeah. you're obviously you're you have an idea of what your parents want you to do you have an idea of what friends what you want you to do but that was probably I don't know if it was that it was that playing out playing around in your mind as well like this is yeah. this is just an expectation of what you do have a exactly. fancy title of a, of a, of a job yeah and then, yeah exactly but like your current role is pretty much you're adding to social capital now right something that's adding to the community it's something that's that you feel it's fulfilling and rewarding in some way right mm. rather than because I've been I'm a I, I believe in this idea of uh, BS jobs. There are too many of them right now. Like, uh, too yeah. many of them, right? Like people conducting meaningless jobs, like meaningless from the individual standpoint and also empty from a social value standpoint. That's the way I see it. Like mm. corporate lawyers, if they if they decided to get rid of most of these jobs, society wouldn't change one bit. Like you wouldn't even mm. notice it. Literally some jobs are just created because other industries sprung up. It's useless. It's completely useless. Yeah. What did you study? But, or what are you studying? I did psych. Oh. Psychology. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's interesting. It's really, really interesting. I find that um, like what you did was actually it's a it's a brave move. It's a brave. It's a brave oh, move. A I lot know, of people just try and power through. Yeah, because I could feel it was very much like either or, and I was definitely tossing up between either or, and I even almost powered through. I think I just stopped again at like two week mark, and that's the thing. I was definitely, yeah, conflicted between this idea of just finish this degree and then figure it out, you know what I mean? And I guess so many people are actually caught in that very rut now. And you know what? I'll also say that for some people it makes sense to just finish the degree depending on at what stage they're at, what why they're planning on leaving, um, you know, what they're trying to achieve. Like, for me, it made sense to actually back out at that point and really capitalise on the time that I would have been spending in the degree to build this future of mine. And so, like, you could say that the last two, three years is me really just being on the ground, building the, the building blocks of it. And I think I'm just at a stage now where... I just need to start kind of being just having that same attitude, but also just maybe just tuning, fine tuning my direction a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I like that. I wanted to talk to you about the mental health as well, especially with that experience you had at Thailand. How did that impact you on a, on a mental level as well? If you don't yeah. share no, definitely. And you know what? It's, it's I'm glad you asked because even on the mental health note, I was going to say that, you know, it's there are so many things that can contribute to like poor mental health or like a challenged mental health, you know, and one of them is definitely an injury. And that's what I noticed that a physical injury to someone would definitely challenge their, their mental health. Um, and that's something that I experienced. So 
having been really young, so I was about 20 years old when it happened, that in itself was really tough because um, it's not common for a young woman to actually experience the, the sort of back injury that I was dealing with. So already just on that point alone, I felt really alone, you know, and I felt like insecure, felt like anxious about my future and certain things about my future, um, just because like all of a sudden, just this ability to move freely had been taken away from me. And uh, it's it's actually so weird because that's when I kind of really started to confront the reality of miserability, like being miserable, you know. It's like I was almost fighting with it every single day. And it's, it's, it's like it never really got me, but it's like I had to fight fight with it every single day and that's because I could all of a sudden I can't move as freely as I want I have to second you know I have to think about every move um I couldn't go to certain places do certain things and as a young woman like I can't stress enough like this literally broke me like it really got me down and so I'll say that yeah in terms of mental health it definitely challenged my mental health um there's a huge psychological and emotional element <clears throat> that comes with having an injury. Um, when you're injured, you know, all of a sudden, um, you know, you might be confronted with um, a lack of confidence because you're now incompetent at something or you're not unable to do something physically. For me, it was honestly just I just just stripped of my freedom. It really felt like that. Imagine just being a 20-year-old woman, someone with so much energy for life, and then now all of a sudden you're told that you can't do certain things, you can't, um, you know, you can't go to certain places, you can't, it's just, you can't move. It, like, literally, just just having to think about just my moves, like my every sort of pick, what I'm picking up, how I'm doing things, it really just frustrated me to, an, to a point where I just can't even explain it. I can't explain it because it was, it was like the way I would describe it is it just felt so unfair. It felt so unfair because um, I just I couldn't be myself. And I feel like it was really hard for me because I think I had to kind of reimagine or redefine who I am at the core because for so long I was so attached to my identity as being someone who's just this big ball of energy you know the life of the party the one who likes to dance and all of a sudden because these things were like taken away from me and I wasn't able to express myself in the ways that I just naturally did I felt depressed <laughs> I felt yeah. like I, 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 I don't want to use that term like too loosely I just felt miserable basically and um I think um, in terms of my mental health, it did really challenge me because there were certain elements to my injury that made it really tough, like nerve pain. So um, something called sciatica, yeah, which is basically like, you know, when there's an issue in your disc, in your spine, sometimes there can be nerve compression. So it can be pushing on a nerve that's connected to a different part of your body. And that was the case for me. So I was experiencing nerve pain in my legs because of my back injury. And that was really tough because it's like literal pain, but it's like pain that no one can see and only I can experience. So it was one of those things where I had to get to a point where I could just push myself through it, you know, because it's like I can't I can't sook or I can't look to the next person for some sort of like comfort or pity like every every five seconds. 
basically. And that's how it felt like, I'm, whatever this is I'm going through, this is really something that no one's going to understand it. And people express, they express like they're sorry for you, they express sympathy, they express all these things, and I believe it's genuine. But one thing I had to understand and accept is no one gets your pain. <laughs> like You literally have to start figuring out how to like resolve it or make peace with it yourself because you're just not going to get that level of understanding, which, you know, is can be really comforting. Like when you get a certain level of understanding from someone about something you're going through, there's comfort in that. And I just accepted that I'm not going to get that from people. So one thing for me was just like building my confidence as a woman. Again, you know, as someone who wanted to like, who, who's, who still wants to have children, you know, back then I was like, how am I going to do it? Like, how am I going to be, like, pregnant with kids? Like, how am I going to do these things? Like, this sucks. So I think it was just, like, understanding who I am at the core, understanding that my value um, doesn't stem directly from my physical um, competency. You know what I mean? Mm. I just had to kind of reshuffle the way I saw things in my mind. I had to start, like, digging deep and, and relying relying more so on the value that I have within my mind, for example, or my ideas or my heart. Because it's like before that I was just, I wanted to rely more on my energy. I wanted to rely more on the things that I could literally do, you know. Mm. So in a way it just forced me to kind of like, it's like it was a painful process and that's the, that's the mental health part that I'll speak to is just like, fighting miserability every now and then, you know, having that tackle with it, like who, who's going to go down? Is it Lydia? Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just having, having to stay above it, you know, having to maintain um, like who I am, which is just this bubbly, happy person, like having accepted now that I've got this big thing that I'm, I go through on a daily basis. So I just realized I kind of reconfigured the way I saw myself a little bit, like less emphasis on the fact that I like to dance, for example, and I enjoyed it and I was good at it, and more emphasis on the, the fact that I'm a, I'm a conversationalist. I'm someone who I have a good, I have a bright mind. I'm someone who can do a lot with my mind. It was just like weird. I had to go through that process at like a really young age. And I think that actually helped me focus in and understand um, sooner, like who, who, who I am, what I want to do. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's it's one of those things where it almost really broke me and in in some on some days it did completely break me down but I think just having it was in the end it's self-esteem I realized that actually helps you overcome a lot of things it's like that self-belief and like and actually valuing and in liking yourself and I think it's because I realized that I have so much to offer from so many different like parts of me that um this doesn't doesn't ruin me doesn't silence me completely because that's that's where it really break break me down it's just like is this is this just gonna is this just something that's gonna come into my life at such a young age and just like break you know break me down basically or take away who who I am at the core or like you know um, stop me or challenge me from being able to express who I am and then I just had to realize there's so much we're complex people like we're multifaceted and this is even why I like to lean on this idea of being a multidisciplinary like creative or um, professional is because there's so many different parts of us that are great that we um, can draw on to do great things and to to be great and I might have relied a little too heavily on one of those things when I was young I don't I don't blame myself for that because when you're young it's more about you know 
enjoyment, um, you know, you know, like literally just embracing and enjoying um, youth, you know, because it doesn't come around. And I think that's one thing that upsets me is like this idea that um, I had to kind of second question or think about or even not do at all a lot of the things that young people would do. And that made me feel upset. But um, I'm realising more and more that I have a lot more control in, like, um, my reality. And it's just a matter of time, patience, strength and support. I like that. I like that. Like, many people don't see that, like, even tragic um, situations like that can force you to be introspective and pull out aspects of yourself that you never even knew existed. Like, you, you decided you took a different route and decided to reframe the whole thing right you decided to say hold on a second mm. i can write i can do this i can do that i can by almost by force right you pulled out these different aspects of the, of yourself that were, that were existed but were probably underdeveloped right you decided to mm. which turned out to be something pretty good i like that like many people don't see it like that they see it as a horror story right this dystopia yeah the thing. but no that's good yeah that's good. It's really good. It's been a, I think we can wrap it up there. It's, it's been a pleasure having, yeah. having a chat with you. It's Thank you, you too.